0: Matthew 13, a parable we said is a story set in real life that has a spiritual truth behind it. We looked at the parable of the soils on Easter, uh, just says the effectiveness or the fruitfulness of the kingdom in our life is based on our heart. Our hearts determine how effective the kingdom is uh, working in us, how effective the gospel is in us. Last week we looked at three different parables and I said they kind of answer this question, well why are things the way they are? If the kingdom is the ruler reign of God and God is good and he's powerful, then how come there's still so much difficulty and pain in the world? And we looked at three different parables. One was the weeds and we said the righteous and the wicked live together until the end. God doesn't just start plucking weeds. He doesn't do that. Thankfully, he would have plucked most of us at some point a long time ago. He allows the righteous and the wicked to live together until the end of time. With the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom begins small, and so there's this, it grows gradually. In the parable of the leaven or the yeast, even though the kingdom is small, it is effective. And so all of those things you can kind of piece together to see that's the reason things are the way they are. God's kingdom hasn't come finally and fully. And the reason it hasn't come finally and fully is because when it does, there will no longer be an opportunity for any to enter it. And so he's created this space, this window, and at this point it's 2,000 years long, and it will go on until Jesus returns where people can respond to him. And as long as people are able to respond to him, there's a freedom, there's a free element there. And so as long as people are able to respond, they're also able to reject. And when people reject, that's where we get all of the sin and the evil In the world, And so that's the situation that we're in now, and that's why things are the way that they are. Today we want to look at three parables. We're really going to look at two uh, in depth, and the others we're just going to hit very briefly, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. We've said uh, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. It's the same as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Obviously, both of these parables teach the same thing, that the kingdom is worth whatever it takes in order to attain it. Whatever you've got to give up in order to attain the kingdom, it's worth it. The difference, you've got one guy who just kind of stumbles upon treasure. He's plowing somebody else's field. Treasure was normally buried then. They didn't have banks, and so honestly, the safest place for it was in the ground and the rules were finders keepers. That's that's how they ran things. And so this guy runs across some treasure. He he finds it. It's not his. He buries it, sells everything and buys the farm. You don't need to get wrapped up on whether the guy was ethical or not. Don't press the details. The point is this treasure that he found was worth selling everything in order to attain. The second parable is like it rather than you have on the one hand you have this farmer who stumbles on this other hand you have this merchant who's seeking, he's actually looking for fine pearls. It's what he does. He's a, a high-end businessman. The word behind merchants is a high-end businessman. And he's looking for very fine pearls. And he finds one and sells everything he has in order to buy it. Again, you see the parallels there. This idea that whatever we've got to give up in order to attain the kingdom, the kingdom is worth it. Whether we're seeking or whether we stumble into it, it doesn't matter. Its worth is the same which is whatever it takes in order to attain it. Now, for us, maybe thinking in terms of treasure and pearls is not super helpful. Uh, we obviously don't buy our way into the kingdom. There's no price. There's not a, we don't do that. God's not looking for us to write a check or any of those types of things. We enter into the kingdom, his rule or his reign. We enter into a relationship with him by faith in Jesus. Anything that had to be paid, Jesus already paid on our behalf. Maybe a a better way for us to look at it is to think of an invitation. Several times in the um, Gospels, Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as a banquet. It's like a banquet that um, a king hosts and he invites people in. And so this invitation that you have, whether you went looking for it or it just showed up in your inbox, this invitation that you have, whatever it takes for you to accept it, that's what you need to do. Whatever you've got to move, whatever you've got to shift, whatever you've got to give up, whatever you've got to work out, whatever you have to do in order to actually show up at the banquet, do it. Because the banquet is going to be worth it. That maybe would be a better parallel for us. For some of you, you're on the outside and you're thinking, I'm not certain that I want to accept the invitation to this banquet. Again, maybe this is not something that you've necessarily been looking for. You find yourself in church either today or on a regular basis, but you're going, I'm not really sure that this is worth what it's going to cost me. I'm not sure it's worth fill-in-the-blank in in order to accept it. And a couple of things, I think, get in our way. Sometimes, again, if you're still evaluating whether Jesus is somebody that you want to enter into a relationship with, two things, I think, can get in the way, and one is unbelief. We just don't believe. We either don't believe uh, specific elements of what it means uh, to be a Christian, or we don't believe in general. There's some folks who, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe in a personal God. He's this impersonal force, or I don't, he, he, he started the world and kind of got everything spinning, and now he's off doing his own thing. Or I don't believe Jesus is a son of God, or I don't believe that he was raised from the dead, or I don't believe that I'm actually a sinner who needs saving. I don't know what your particular points of unbelief are, but if you're struggling with unbelief, my encouragement to you is to name those things. Make make a list. Actually, make a list. These are the things that I'm wondering about. These are, the, these are the things that are keeping me from accepting this invitation. If the Bible has any validity to it, this is the most important question you're ever going to ask, so it's worth spending a little bit of time coming up with your answer. Don't just assume that because the things that we talk about and the things that we read about in the Bible are far-fetched, it means they're not true. They absolutely, we've said before, Dead people don't get out of the ground. Like, nobody is saying that's a common occurrence. The fact that it happened makes us go, then, who, then what happened? Who is this one who gets up after being dead for three days? People don't feed 5,000 people with one little kid's lunch. Like, that doesn't happen. Seas don't part so nations can walk across them. None of us are saying that this stuff is easy to believe. What we're saying is, if there's some validity to it, we want to know why. What what does it point to? If you believe in a supernatural God, then these things become much more plausible. And so my encouragement to you, who maybe are sitting on the side of unbelief, is to say, what exactly do you not believe? And then begin to work those things through. Begin to dig a bit and work those questions out. Don't just put them on the shelf and say, this is not scientifically possible or modern men and women can't believe this stuff, don't, that's cop out. Dig a little bit and see what's underneath it. If it helps you talk to somebody, you can talk to me. I'm not going to have all the answers, but sometimes just the accountability of having a meeting is good because it makes you get your thoughts from here out here. And we can talk about that. Or There are other people who'd be happy to talk with you. Nobody's going to try to convince you that you're wrong or that we're right. What we want to say is we want to help you figure out what's true. That's it. And so again, if you, if you wrestle with unbelief, my encouragement to you, if this parable is true, it's worth the wrestling and it's worth the digging to get to the truth. Second reason, and I think this is actually probably more common, the things that keep us from accepting the invitation is really it's just a, we want to run the show. It's control. We don't want anybody else calling the shots. And we get the Jesus is Lord piece enough to know, well, if I'm going to follow him, then that means he gets to decide where I go. And I'm not so certain I like that. And two questions for you. One is, are you really in control? And what are you really in control of? And I think if we're honest, most of us would say there's not a whole lot of things that we're really controlling. Most of us have these moments throughout the week where we go, I I actually don't, there's not a whole lot of things that I can keep right here. There's a lot that goes on that's external to me that I have zero influence over. My second question would be, Why do you trust yourself more than you trust him? And that's not, I'm not poking, I'm just asking. Why do you trust yourself more than you trust him? If your knowledge is limited and you say it is, and his is not, and if your power is limited and his is not, and if you make mistakes and if he doesn't, and your goodness is spotty and his is perfect. So again, not poking, I'm just asking. Why would you trust yourself more than you would trust him? And if you can dig a bit into that question it might help you realize why it's difficult for you to relinquish control to Him. So those are just two things. If you this this invitation has been issued, whether it was something that you went looking for or something that just found you, my encouragement to you is really to dig into the reasons that would keep you from accepting it. My personal experience is it's worth the digging, and there's testimony of a hundred something people in this room who would say the same. It was worth the it was worth the digging. Whatever we had to give up in order to say yes to the invitation, it absolutely was worth it. And we want the same thing for you as well. I was also thinking about this idea, this kind of a shift on this idea of the pearl of great price or this hidden treasure. What could God ask me to give that I would say no to? Like if he were to say, I want this, what would I say? "Hmm, You can't have it. It's a question for you maybe to be thinking through as well. Is there something that God, if God put his finger on and said, I want that, that you go, you you can't have it. For some people, it's their reputation, maybe. For some people, it's career or success. I could see that, particularly if you're a strong kind of provider type person, if God kind of puts his finger on your career or success, and you think, I'm going to lose that. For a lot of us, I think it's a relationship. We think about relationships and think, I I don't know that you get those anymore. Because that's we're heavily invested in those people and begin to think, what does that look like for God to put his finger on that and say, I want that. Abraham and Isaac, to me, that's a once in in history story where you've got God saying to a father, I want you to go sacrifice your son. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible except God doing it and going all the way through. You don't see him asking other human parents to do that. Not, but for God to say, I, I, I want these relationships. When I think about this pearl of great price and what would I hold back, that's what comes to my mind are the relationships that I have that are close to me. That's when God kind of gets in my kitchen a bit and I say, that's, that doesn't seem right. It's hard for me to think of you putting your finger on on those relationships, whether that's spouse, whether that's children, close friends, parents, whatever that is for you. I was thinking about this isn't fully worked out, so you can dismiss it if you want. You can dismiss anything I say if you want. But this, this is not fully worked out. But I was thinking about this whole idea of what does it look like to hate father, mother, brother, sister, children. Jesus says that unless you hate them, you're not worthy of me. And so I was thinking about, what does that look like? And I think for me, I oftentimes go this, who do I love more, who do I love less, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't, that doesn't, I don't know how that works for you, but that doesn't work well for me to start prioritizing who I love the most. Well, she's first, because she's my wife, so I love her 10, and then my kids, I guess I'm supposed to love less, so I love them 8, or sometimes 4, depending, you know, or however that works, and... I don't know how that works. I think rather than thinking more or less, maybe thinking order. How do you order the loves in your life? Again, if you live in a family, you can't love anyone well unless they're in the unless you're loving them in the proper order. So if you're married, your spouse is first in the sense of that's the first person you're supposed to love. They're the priority in that sense. It doesn't mean you love your spouse more than your children. I think that's that's a To me, that's not even helpful to think about, especially for those of you moms. You're going, what? That's a hard thing to get around. Think about ordering the loves. If you love your children, if you get your kids out of order and you put loving them above loving your your husband, loving your spouse, you can't love your kids well at that point. You're definitely not going to love your spouse well, but you can't love your kids even properly at that point because it's out of order. So spouse, that's the first love within a family. Children are the second love. For children, their parents are their first love within a family. When they get married, then mom and dad, you get booted down the list. Their spouse becomes first. And then their kid, then you're second. And then when they have kids, parents, you get booted again to third on the list. And that's kind of how those things work. And it doesn't mean that When you get married, you start loving your parents less. You just reorder the loves in your heart. Does that make sense? If you like the word priority, you can use that. For me, I'm using the word ordering. And the same thing is true with our relationship with God. He's not saying, I want you to love me more than you love your wife, or I want you to love me more than you love your mom, or I want you to love me more than you love your daughter. I think what he's saying is, I want you to order things correctly, and I'm at the top of the food The pyramid here. I'm I'm the top link in the chain. you got to put me up here. I'm first. Ordering. Anybody else who takes that first spot in the ordering of your loves, they can't handle it. No person can sit in that seat. You will kill them. I promise. You won't love them well because you're trying to love them like God, and they're not. They become an idol to you and all idols ultimately fail. None of them can deliver on the promises. And this person most likely is not even trying to be your God. You've just put them there for whatever reason, because they're tangible or because they're cute or because they make you feel good or some misplaced sense of parental or spousal love and you've put them up there. They don't want it. They can't handle it. And you can't love them well if you don't have it. your loves ordered correctly in your life. So the, the question for me becomes, what does that look like? It's very practical. It's not, who, love, who do I love the most? And do I love God more than I love Misty? And how do I prove that to her? Let me be mean to her. And that means I love God more. I, I don't even know how that works out. But there's a very practical way of saying, let me order the loves in my life and let me love him first. And then that allows me to love her, which allows me to love my children, which allows me to love my family and friends, which allows me to love my church and my community and all of these things. There's an ordering there. And if there's a place for you where that line starts getting fuzzy, to me, that's a warning sign. That's an area where the enemy can can work. If there's a place for you where, where it gets hard, practically, for you to live out that ordering. I'm speaking primarily about relationships. For you, it might be something else. It might be your career, it might be success. It might be your reputation. For some people, it's safety and health. For some people, it's comfort. But wherever that line gets fuzzy, that's where the enemy is going to, that's, that's ground for him. That's an opportunity for him to get in there and start wreaking all kinds of havoc. Because you're not ordering the loves of your life well. You're not ordering the priorities of your life well. And once they get out of whack, that's when all kinds of things can fall apart. In the kingdom, there's just kind of this principle. The only things you get to keep are the things you first let go of. That's how it works. Anyone who wants to keep his life, you're going to lose it. Anyone who gives up his life willingly, lays it down, anyone who gives up his life for Jesus and for the sake of the kingdom, you get to keep it. And so you can apply that across the board. If there's things that you want to keep, the first step in keeping them is not holding on to them. It's relinquishing them to the Lord. It's recognizing, look, I'm going to give these things to you first. And once you've given them to Him, then they've lost their ability to become an idol to you. Then it's safe for God to give those things back to you and for you to be able to fully enjoy them. And that works for relationships, that works for stuff, that works for kind of these intangible future, hope, dreams, all of those things. Until you give those things to Him first, they're a threat to become an idol in your life. But once you do relinquish them, then he's free to give them back, and you can enjoy them. So how do we do that? I was thinking about this also. So what does that look like for Jesus to be the pearl of great price? That's his statement of fact. For some of us, we go, "Eh, um, okay, he says that. I'm not sure that I feel that. There are other things that I feel are more important. There are other things that get me jumping out of my seat quicker the idea of Jesus. There are other things I could think of sacrificing for even more than I could think about sacrificing for Him. Ultimately, I get around to Him because it's the right answer and I'm a good guy. But that's not my first inclination. My first inclination is not, He's the hidden treasure. It's not, He's the pearl of great price. It's not, He's worth whatever I've got to give up in order to attain. How do we cultivate that? Honestly, I think it's a very personal thing. My general answer is you've got to tend the fire. And I think there's some practical strategies for working that out that are, again, individualized, and I'm not going to spend any time on that. The underlying thing for me, I was praying this morning, I think, is it's, it's grasping the relational dynamic. If we as people can begin to relate to God as a person, that changes everything. If you can begin to relate to God as a person the way you would relate to me or to one of your friends, that will change everything about your relationship with God. Most of us see our relationship with God as two one-way streets. One way from us to him, we pray, we read, we sing. It's just, he, whatever that is for him, that's just what we do. And then one way from him to us is he saves us. He forgives us of our sins, and occasionally if we're in a lot of trouble, he'll rescue us. But they're, they're, it's like Church Street and Cherokee, they never touch. There's a, they're a block apart from each other. That's the picture a lot of us have in our relationship with God. It's two one-way streets, and it can't be further from the truth. He's a person, and he's looking for a relationship with us. For some of you, if you could just grasp the fact that God wants to speak to you, it would change everything about your life. If you just knew, God wants to talk to me today, not just about the big things, but about anything. He just wants to talk. He wants to share. He wants to let you in on what he's doing. Not not so you can go do anything for him, just because he thinks you're great and he wants to let you know what's going on. If you could grasp that, it would change everything for you. If you knew that God wanted you to actually feel him, that's hard for us, some of us. We're not touchy-feely people. What movie would I cry at? None of them. I don't do that. But God wants, to, he wants me to experience his presence. He wants me to know that he's near. Just like those of you who are in relationships with people, you want them to know that you're around. You want them to know that you're near. You touch them. God wants to do the same thing. And again, not just on special occasions. All the time. If we just can make ourselves more receptive to him, And so my encouragement to you when you're thinking about this idea of the pearl of great price and you're thinking about ordering your loves and you're looking at priorities, I don't want you thinking about what do I need to love less. It's the wrong question. What I want you thinking about is how do I love him more? It's not what can, how do I decrease these other things. It's how do I increase my affection for him. How do I, not how do I make these other things less of a priority, but how do I make him more of a priority? He's not saying take away from these things and give to me. What he's saying is, give focus on me and then these other things. You'll ha- actually have more for them than you currently do. Because out of the overflow of your, this love that you have for me, you'll be able to love all of these other people and all of these other things. And so my, again, my encouragement to you is to tend the fire. Time. But before you even get there, I would say, reorient your understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with God. That's not just this far off future. At some point, I'm going to die and he's going to zap me to heaven and I'm going to walk through some gates. And that, what I don't know about any of that. Sure. But now, on December, April, not December, April 14th, 2013, God wants to speak to me. I don't have any major decisions going on. God still wants to speak to me today. God wants me to know his presence just because. I don't have anything special today, just a regular day. But he still wants that for me, and he wants that for you. And there's nothing, whatever's special about me is special about you as well. And whatever's not special, we're all the same. And so that's, that's available to you. And if you can begin to relate to him that way, then his priority in your life will increase. He'll become this pearl of great price because he won't just be this this object, this far off distant being. He'll be this father who's close to you, who speaks to you, who encourages you, yeah, who corrects you when you need to be corrected, who directs you. That's the type that's that's what we're going for. Here, let's hit these others real quick and we'll be done. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We mentioned this last week. This is very similar to the parable of the weeds. basically says two things. One, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. We're all in it together and then God's going to sort it at the end doesn't do us any good to try to figure out where everybody's at at this point. God's going to sort it, and he's not going to sort it till the end. The parable of the soils, if you remember, ultimately it's a question of fruit. There's one kind of soil that's good, and all the other kinds are inadequate. All the other kinds are bad. What he's looking for is fruit. We said last week the weeds and the wheat look a lot alike until the wheat begins to produce. That's when you can tell the difference between weeds and wheat. So the same thing with this fish. you got a net full of fish, you, can't, you don't know until you get them up on the shore and you start figuring out which ones are clean and which ones are unclean. That's God's job, that's not ours. You don't need to spend a whole lot of time trying to sort and judge and place. You just need to be faithful to what he's called you to. He'll figure it out at the end. I was, as we were, I was praying about this this morning. I thought just there's maybe a handful of you and what you need to hear. You've had loved ones who've died and you're wondering... I don't know. And what you need to know, God sorts. You don't need to stress about that. He sorts. He knows their hearts in a way that even you don't. And you need to take confidence and comfort in the fact that he loves everybody more than you love anybody. And he'll sort them. Have you understood all these things, Jesus said? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven Is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And so all he's doing is wrapping up this teaching on parables saying, now that you've got this teaching about the kingdom, you can combine that with what you already know from God in the Old Testament. It's just for the handful of you who would say your deal, your thing, is you teach the word. That's what you do. I think this is just encouragement for you. Old and new, you need both. There's revelation in both. There's truth in both. There's encouragement for people in both. And for those, the rest of us who are trying to get to know God better, I think it's the same thing. It's just, hey, we've, we've got the whole thing here, so read all of it. Like Leviticus, you can read really fast, but the rest of it, read. Like it's in here, there's good stuff in the old, and there's good stuff in the new. And they complement, they fit together. They're not, they don't pull apart in any ways. It's one God who's inspired both. He's been active from the time of creation He'll be active through the end of Revelation and beyond. And what we need to do is recognize the truth, the gold that's uh, in both parts of that. So again, I would say just particular, for, that's for all of us, for the handful of you who would say, my thing is teaching the word. Just hear that as a word of encouragement from the Lord to you today to continue to dig in. It's good stuff. You, knowing the word the way that you do, that provides a channel of grace to the people who you're connected with. It's Proverbs 15 somewhere says that an apt reply, it's like it's, uh, it's refreshing. It's like gold to people. And so if you're, if you're pulling from the old and the new, then that's what you can be to others. So just be encouraged by that. I'm going to pray, and then, uh, and then Bo will close us out here. So I've not, this is not, uh, I don't usually call people out, but I'm going to this morning, more just because I'm afraid I'm going to forget than for anything else. But Russell, during worship, when we were singing, kind of the picture I had, I was praying for you about the, your whole wisdom thing, It was a five-gallon bucket of mud, and there was already all this drywall up, and I felt like what God said was, you just need to finish. And what I want us to do here as we close, we'll have ministry teams in the front. We'll pray for you about anything that you have going on. But I would particularly like to press in this idea of priority and ordering of your loves. If that's an area where you struggle, we'd love to pray with you about that. Again, I don't think the issue is that. um, I don't want you thinking you've got to start loving other things less. What we're going to pray is that you begin to love God more. And if you know yourself well enough to know, there's this thing, and if he asks me for it, he ain't getting it. I want to encourage you uh, to confess that to him, to go ahead and give it to him now, so he never has to ask. God, I pray for each of us uh, that we would know you as the pearl of great price. That's what you are. I'm just not sure that that's what you are to us on a regular basis. I think, you know, those shows where somebody's got some treasure sitting on their mantle, they they didn't know what it was worth. And how many of us treat you that way? We have access to the God of the universe intimately. Intimately watch tv instead and god not i I pray that you would stir our hearts god that we would begin to love you more that would be step one would be us loving you more at some point if there's renouncing and all of those things that's fine But for now god i pray that it would begin with us loving you more deeply recognizing your true worth God, I pray particularly for the men and women in this room who would say, God, I've never in my life felt the presence of God. Lord, I pray in the next five minutes they would, that you would stir them physically in a way that they would it's a warm feeling or a, just a sense tingling on their arms, whatever that is, or be just this tangible sense of your presence. God, I pray for the men and women who would say, never in my life, as God spoken to me. God, in the next five minutes, would you just say something? I love you. I'm here. I got it. Whatever it is. Speak to their hearts in a way that they would get is you. You guys can stand, and we're going to close again. But we'll, this one uh, ministry song, and then but will dismiss us. We'll have ministry teams in the corners. If you want prayer about anything, again, we'd love to pray uh, with you.
1: If my heart is old. I cannot hear your voice, I hold on to what is true, though no, I cannot see if the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith, I will believe that I remind myself of all that you've done. And the life I have because of Your Son. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. And I am Yours. I am forever Yours. The mountain high or valley low, I sing. I remind my soul that I am When my heart is filled with hope And every promise comes my way When I feel your hands of grace Rest upon me I'm staying desperate for you, God Staying humble at your feet I will lift these hands in praise I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free you know And I You mountain high, oh valley low I sing. I will remind my soul That I am yours I am forever yours Love came down And love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free And I am yours I am forever yours and mountain high, oh valley low sing out I remind my soul that I am I am the love of yours that I am yours that I am yours for all my days Jesus I am came down and rescued me, love came down and set me free, and I am yours, I am forever yours. And mountain high or valley low, I sing out of my soul, that I am yours, I am forever yours. Jesus lead us out in your love today keep our eyes fixed on you I pray that you would just show yourself faithful and true what David shared today about this shifting our focus and looking at you is all it takes you're there waiting for us at all times to be felt, to be heard to be seen just pour yourself out upon us as we head out Lord and bless us in Jesus name Amen.